Dennis Zarrell, and once again this week, we are sponsored by Abode Real Estate, your professional real estate advisors in Colorado Springs and Keller County, the historic Butte Theater in Cripple Creek, Colorado, bringing you the best productions in the United States, Rocky Mountain Vibes, the Pioneer League's professional baseball team in Colorado Springs, and Animus Wellbeing, your nutritional consultants in Woodland Park, Colorado. Well, I hope everyone is enjoying this summer weather, but uh, it's been quite warm lately, especially this past week as the heat wave makes its way east. But I say enjoy it because before you know it, temperatures will be dropping faster than Bud Light sales, and then we'll just be complaining about the cold weather. That's kind of what we do. But in the meantime, get out there, enjoy yourself, and take advantage of our beautiful county. Well, on the show today, we'll be joined by the Butte Theater Manager, Zach Stanio, and the Artistic Director of Funky Little Theater Company, Chris Medina. They'll both be joining me on the Bear Cave Hotline coming up in the next segment, so I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Next week is the Mayor's Corner with Woodland Park City Mayor Hillary Labar, and she'll be in studio. It's always an interesting conversation when she stops by, and also will be joined by Lieutenant Renee Bunting from the Teller County Sheriff's Office. She'll be coming on the Bear Cave Hotline, and we're going to talk about the upcoming National Night Out and some other things that are happening in Teller County involving TCSO. And if you know Renee, you know that she has her finger on the pulse of Teller County, so always enjoy talking with her. The first week of August, Gail Gross from Reserve Art Gallery will be stopping by, and we're going to talk about this year's annual Mountain Arts Festival. And it's been a while since we've talked to her, so looking forward to having her joining us. Also joining us in studio that week, we have some special guests from a nonprofit organization here in Woodland Park called Quilters Above the Clouds. And Marty Beyer and Joanne Thies, I hope I didn't screw your name up too bad, they'll be telling us about what they do and their upcoming events. So I look forward to talking to these ladies as well. Now, the second week of August, we have another big show planned, but we're going to keep that kind of close hold until next week. But suffice it to say, it's going to be a very, very interesting show. So that's kind of the lineup for the next few weeks. In the meantime, let's get down to it. Let's see. What have we got going on this week? Well, it's been kind of a strange week. A lot of really kind of strange and weird energy going around, not only just for me, but for other people I've been talking to. And it's just kind of been an off week for some reason. But... Lately, between regional tornadoes and baseball-sized hail, it seems we've had a number of bear sightings being reported here in Teller County, and especially in the Woodland Park area this year, more so than the past couple of years, to my recollection. And some of this is attributed to, I'm going to say it, short-term rentals. Yep, it's out there. Where mostly the out-of-town property owners are the ones just not exercising a lot of bear awareness. And one of those areas that has been extremely active in the past three months is the Sunnywood Lovell Gulch area in Teller County. The bear issue, it's gone from being a nuisance to becoming a problem. Caretakers or renters, they're leaving their garbage cans out for days before the scheduled pickup dates. And of course, Yogi and Boo Boo see that as a buffet. And what do they do? They do what bears do and they make a mess of their dining area. 
scattering garbage all over the place and just uh, really making neighbors angry about scattered debris and you know, all kinds of stuff. Now, CPW is aware of the problem, and I'm sure the officers are taking appropriate action, but hopefully the owners of these STRs are finally going to take action themselves, but I doubt it. I can tell you that Helldor is blowing up with comments from neighbors and people in the region because they've had enough. And I have to admit, I've been getting emails asking me to mention this problematic issue, so that's what I'm doing. I know that some neighbors have contacted some of these VRBOs or STRs, and I have personally talked with property managers myself about bear awareness, but up until now, it's either been ignored or the managers just don't get it. So now, what do we do when there's no clear guidelines or ordinances in the county? Well, of course, you can contact your CPW officer in the region to report sightings or report any kind of incidents. But then you should also contact your county commissioner via email or a phone call. It's there on the website. Make them aware of the problem and allow them to take some action. Hopefully, and I say this again, hopefully they will take some action and get these STRs in line or ban them from residential neighborhoods. Now, look, I've heard all the arguments from both sides in Woodland Park for, it seems like it's almost been two years, and I think it's probably coming to a head. I don't really need to get into Woodland Park's issues. The mayor can talk about that next week. But I am one of those people who has been affected by the lack of attention to the bear problem in the Sunnywood part of the county. And I can tell you with a great deal of confidence that it is directly attributed to those STRs or VRBOs in this area. Now, look, I'm not bagging on responsible STR owners who live in the city or even the county who have been running their businesses for years without any kind of major problems. I am talking about those out-of-town owners who look at Teller County as an STR sanctuary area, as one listener put it, and don't live in these communities. They're not even involved with these communities. They don't know what's going on. So get angry if you want. I know I did. Then if you have to, but for God's sake, take some action and stay in the hip pockets of your elected officials who serve you. It's high time that this problem is resolved and clear ordinances are enacted and put into place. Otherwise, this problem is going to continue to fester and wildlife will be euthanized because of man's ignorance and stupidity. Okay, rant over. But uh, ironically, this is some bear pile material. Yeah, just saying. <laughs> The next item I want to talk about relates to cocaine in the West Wing of the White House. Now, I'm sure that everyone has heard about the mysterious bag of coke that was found in the White House, and the jokes and comments since the bag was found have been endless. It's coke gate. Yep, coke gate. <laughs> Hilarious. But the capper for me is that the United States Secret Service, a service that's supposed to be one of the most high-speed organizations in the United States, has basically thrown up its hands on the investigation. It appears that we may never find out who left that bag of coke in the West Wing. So what does the Secret Service do? They announced last week that they had completed its investigation into how a small plastic bag of cocaine that was discovered on July 2nd made its way into a storage cubby just inside the White House, but ultimately was unable to make a determination of who put it there. The Secret Service said that it had closed the investigation, quote, due to a lack of physical evidence, end quote and explaining that without physical evidence, the investigation will not be able to single out any kind of person of interest from the hundreds of individuals who passed through those vestibules where the coke was discovered. So, of course, the Donald saw this and ran with it when he suggested it was, in fact, Sniffy Joe's nose candy. 
<laughs> Never a dull moment with a Donald. Then, of course, the uh, first conclusion was that it belonged to Hunter Cracky Biden, but none of the speculation has been based on actual evidence, so we'll see where that goes. The Secret Service analysis of the substance found was conducted, and results were that it was most definitely cocaine, but they said that the testing could not find any latent fingerprints and that there was insufficient DNA for them to make any kind of investigative comparisons. Also, there was no surveillance video footage available that produced any investigative leads, and after reviewing visitors' logs, a methodical review of security systems and protocols were conducted, including backwards examinations that spanned several days prior to the discovery of the cocaine and who may have had access to the area at the time. In other words, again, bupkis, nothing. Of course, the White House spin doctors, they kind of quickly pointed out that the Bidens were out of town when all this went down, but uh, they had to quickly correct that because the Bidens actually were still in Washington, D.C. until the evening of the 2nd. So nice try with that one there, Jean-Pierre. So needless to say, there are plenty of critics who think that uh, the Secret Service blew it. No pun intended, instead of snorting it for a change. Remember those Secret Service party boys in Columbia a few years ago? Yeah. So it's unlikely that this inconclusive evidence and yeah, whatever theories the investigation came up with was going to satisfy anyone who sees this incident as either A, a serious security breach, or B, a brazen cover-up. I think I'm voting for B. You know, I did talk to one of my retired Secret Service friends, and he said that there are no cameras in the West Wing area by design for security purposes. So I, I get that. But damn, Secret Service, this is the best you could do? I say bull. Look, this organization is supposed to be the best of the best, but apparently that's not the case or someone has just handcuffed them all together. But uh, most likely we're never going to know. So I guess the saga continues. Coming up in the next segment, I'll be talking to Zach Stanio and Chris Medina. We'll be right back. You know, moving can be stressful. I know. I've moved 13 times in 20 years and I've lived in four different states. When it finally came time to move back to Colorado, Woodland Park and Teller County were our target locations. But before I moved back home, I was looking for a real estate broker who understood and had experience with military families and knew the area well. I found Abode Real Estate and Joshua Dorsey. I called Josh right away and it only took 35 days to not only find our forever home, but to close and move into it. Josh understood exactly what we were looking for because he's a common sense person and knows a good deal from a bad one. He'll make every effort to make sure you get the home that you absolutely want and love. As your real estate advisor, Josh will focus on client satisfaction. His business is about service and he's not happy until you're happy. Whether it's finding you a home, finding the best loan, or helping you get the most out of selling your home, Josh is there to guide you. So if you're considering a real estate professional, give Josh a call today at 719-433-4773 or email him at joshua at csabode.com. That's J-O-S-H-U-A at csabode.com. I'm confident that you will be completely satisfied.
Welcome back to the Bear Cave. And right now on the Bear Cave Hotline is the Butte Theater Manager, Zach Stanio, and the Artistic Director of the Funky Little Theater Company, Chris Medina. Gentlemen, thanks for coming in this morning. Thanks for having, Thanks for us, for having us. So, uh, Chris, I got to ask you a little bit about your background. We we met for like, I think, a nanosecond a few weeks ago. As mm-hmm. I, was, I just kind of stopped by the Butte Theater and you, you happened to be there. But uh, give me your background about uh, you know how you got into theater and that kind of stuff for our listeners. Well, I have a degree in theater from UCCS. I graduated in 2012 and kind of been doing theater nonstop. And I always tell people that I do so much theater because I don't know how to not do theater. And one thing led to another, worked with a bunch of different companies, professional, community, academic. And about 10 years ago, I kind of made the jump and uh, resigned from a teaching job and wanted to start a theater company. And I did. And I think there's a reason that not everybody does it because it's not the easiest thing ever. But I wouldn't change a thing and it's been phenomenal and I've met so many amazing people and I've done a lot of my favorite project through my company and I've got to work with people from other companies and it's open doors for me to work with other entities and other organizations so I love it I just love it I love theater so much and I just am very blessed to be in the position that I'm in now to be able to share it with the cool little town like Cripple Creek and uh, yeah did you teach high school or college level expand on that a little bit yeah I taught high school I was uh, I helped with theater productions. I taught American Sign Language. I was uh, a cross-country coach. I started a running club. I started a cessation project, which is like to help teens get off smoking. So I kind of was a little jack-of-all-trades, which is fun because it translates over into my real life in a theater way because I love all aspects of theaters. You know, I love acting and I love directing, but I love making props and I love doing costumes. I like sound designing. I love building sets. I love the marketing side of things. I love advertising. I love doing the posters. So the teaching gig was definitely just a fun like platform to jump from and know that that's the direction I wanted to go. And I actually have a lot of kids that stay in touch with me and come see shows still that they're all, you know, well into their twenties now, but it's pretty awesome. I'm kind of disappointed because you didn't mention that you were a driver's ed teacher. <laughs> um, I wish. <laughs> Normally if you coach track or football or something like that, you know, you kind of teach drivers at you know, the same time, but yeah, I think I got the weird <laughs> end of the stick and got to do theater and cross country. So yeah, it was a mixed bag, but yeah, man, it's awesome. So that's cool. So Zach, you were put in a kind of a tough position. We talked about this last year too, because you have one company that kind of leaves and uh, goes on their way. And then you've got to decide who that next company that's going to come into the theater to do the productions. So how did you and Chris kind of meet? Just take me back to the uh, genesis of that conversation. I think I was up here for probably three months before Chris reached out to me. I think he saw an article in the paper or something and just wanted to introduce himself. And I, he came up to see a show and I think he saw about three different shows um, since I first met him up here and just we'd hit it off and we'd talk and kind of tell him my ideas about the theater and his ideas and yeah I just dug his energy I dug the fact that uh, you know he was making it work in uh, Colorado Springs and seemed like he was doing it so when uh, Air decided to step down in December Chris was supposed to be up during the community season to put on a show and then kind of see where that road took us and uh, we just got to talking and the more we got to talking it was 
like, I think, uh, I think we can pull this off. I think I can absolutely do this and put on quality shows. I saw steel magnolias that he did down in Woodland park and it was phenomenal. And I did the little play crawl that he was doing in Woodland park a few months before that. I don't know. It was just, it was unique. It was unique to, to show up to a place and then kind of just bounce around. Like uh, it reminded me of being back in college and hitting the bars and going to see a fun little production. So the more we got to chatting, the more we decided that this will work out and we can make it happen. Well, and what's funny about I reached out because I want, I did the play crawl that he was referring to. I did with the park in October of last year. And the point of me doing the play crawl was 10 mini plays, 10 directors, 20 actors, but they are all site specific in a, you know, a little strip of walkable territory. So in Woodland Park, we, you know, kind of used a big chunk of Midland Avenue. And my, the purpose of me doing the, the play crawl was I wanted to reach out to other theater companies and integrate different people at different organizations. I knew Zach was new to the Butte and I knew that I was like, maybe this would be a good way to get to know him. So I kind of reached out to pick his brain to see if he would be interested in directing. And I know his wife is an actress. And so if she would be interested in, as well. And so that's kind of where that ball started rolling. And then I had people from Lightbulb Theater, which is in Woodland Park. I had people from other companies in Colorado Springs and I think eventually it ended up that he didn't get to participate in it, but he did come see it. And I think Sarah ended up being sick, but it was kind of a fun jumping off point for our friendship. So I think it was pretty cool. And I will say uh, he had one of the funnier short plays in the play crawl. Remember oh, the like, one that I directed? Yeah, that one. Yeah. I, I still remember it. So it made me laugh and it made me think. So You know, it's funny because uh, listening to you guys, you know, I, I've gone through similar experiences in television and movie side of the house. When you finally meet that partner or a team and it clicks, it's great. I can relate to what you guys are saying because uh, it's the same way in television and, and motion pictures. When you start building a team and it clicks, you know it right away. And uh, that's what really when the work begins. So how did you guys come together to decide what this season was going to look like up at the Butte Theater? How was how that all kind of decided? Ooh, I will, uh, I'll give my perspective. I'm sure Chris has a, uh, a much more fun and uh, unique perspective <laughs> on it. But um, <laughs> so I, initially I had a, I had a company from uh, California kind of lined up to do this and he sent me a list of plays and they were, they wouldn't have played in Crypt Creek. Let's just put it that way. So um, what you didn't like hair no <laughs> no so yeah so and he like refused to change he's kind of sticking by his guns on that a little bit so when we decided to go with funky the you know the big thing was getting the contract kind of put in place but uh we had talked about okay like we have to do a melodrama the Butte's known for melodrama. Not a lot of people know how to do melodramas. And Chris was, was the first one to admit, like, yeah, I've never done it. It sounds interesting. It sounds like something fun, but uh, it's not something that I would feel comfortable taking on and, and directing, uh, not really knowing that much about it. So, you know, we picked uh, out of 15 scripts, 10, 15 scripts, Chris picked uh, Girl of the Golden West, which was adapted by Mickey Burdick. It's a David Belasco play. And then the cool one he wanted us to come out of the gate with was the We Will Rock You. And from the moment he told me about it, how they had planned on doing it, and then the pandemic hit and kind of put a kibosh to that. It's, I don't know, it just, it sounded fun and unique, something that would really play well up here. So that was how the musical started. And then we had a little bit of a fiasco with um, the fall play, but then Chris decided to pivot a little bit and we're going to do something really fun in the fall, as well as uh, get to see Chris on stage during the professional season in the fall in a one-man play of Sleepy Hollow. 
Nice. And then Christmas show was, we always had to have something fun for Christmas. So Chris went out and he found a, uh, a local uh, Colorado playwright who had written a melodrama. That is the one we'll be doing for Christmas. Like I said, I don't want to give too much away. I'll have uh, Chris tell you a little bit more about it and get everyone excited. But he threw together a season in, what, three weeks, dude? Yeah. And <laughs> trying to figure out like how to coordinate the schedules, how if we were doing stuff in rap, but we were trying to stagger around, um, looking at talent, being able to like try and pull the trigger on stuff in enough time to give people earlier Zach said like flying by the seat of our pants like I don't think I've ever heard truer words in, in a definitely like, constructive and like positive atmosphere and I think for what it's worth like Zach and I are definitely on the same page so I think for the highs it really matters and for the lows it really matters and there hasn't been that many lows either you know I think we're on the same page now too it's just like we're trying to get the word out we're trying to share the joy of what we put together and have on the stage at that theater right now so we really want people to come see the shows not because it's, I mean yeah we're biased and we want people to see our shows but like they're good and the people that are doing them are extremely talented and you would be doing a disservice to yourself to not come witness the gravitas that they're putting on that stage and I say that for every single one of them and I think the cast that we were able to put together are I would say unmatched probably anywhere in this region for sure and I don't say that in a cocky way but I say it as in it's, it's true and the patrons that leave our theater and they talk to us after the show they're like I was not expecting that or I can't believe the pipes on that girl or they rehearsed that for literally three weeks like so it's all positive but like unexpected feedback. So I believe in what we're doing. I believe in uh, the product that we have. I think the the people that we have up on the stage are unmatched, like I said. And I think when I took over this contract, what the this fun, special thing for me, and not to be like cliche or to be the dead horse or donkey, if you will, like <laughs> I kind of inadvertently became like an advocate for Cripple Creek. So like I've really got to like lean into the history and the legacy and the tradition of what is important in Cripple Creek and what is important to that town and what's important to the community and, you know, stretching out to Victor and Goldfield and getting to know people, getting to know the people that run the shops, getting to know the people that work in the restaurants, getting to know the people that manage the casinos. That's all been as worth it as doing the other the other side of the coin, you know, doing the production stuff. And from my side, it's been one hell of a ride. And I still can't believe that we got to where we are now and having three shows running in alternate schedules, like in rep, we're in the middle of the summer and everything's, everything's great. A couple of things here is, is uh, you're trying to do or produce a dystopian society type of show during COVID. <laughs> There's some irony here. <laughs> we're heading in that direction. It's like, hey, let's do a show about this. But uh, well, and what's funny is that people see it and they're like, wow, this is really timely. And the show is like 20 years old. Like they're celebrating the 20th anniversary in London right now for the 20th anniversary production. But it is very dystopian. It is very futuristic. It is talking about like the depletion slash gotten rid of all of musical instruments in the world and just only listening to computer generated gender computer generated <laughs> pop essentially and it's funny because it, it kind of touches on the base of like cyberbullying and it touches on the base of conformity and like a little bit of cult status so it's just it's kind of funny that even though it's 20 years old like everything that's hit talking about hits it right on the head and especially with us having just been through covid it's very it's very timely and very real but also very fun and very tongue-in-cheek and very I'd say like the humor would be on par with Mel Brooks, uh, Monty Python kind of kind of stuff. So I think people enjoy it and there's nothing too crass that people are like, oh, God, I can't believe they said that. And it's just it's been a riot. So I love it. I went up and saw the um, girl of the girl in the West a couple of weeks ago. 
Really enjoyed it. And what I thought what you guys did was very clever was in a way you kind of teased the musical during the Olios. And there was this crossover and I thought, that's some good producing right there. That's exactly what I would have done to try to get people to come back and see the musical now. But speaking of which, uh, I think we've talked about it a little bit, but kind of expand on why you chose this particular musical. Well, when Zach and I originally started talking, like I've only produced two musicals up to then. Like I've done almost, you know, 50 full stage productions but only two of them were musicals I mean I've worked on other ones and he was kind of like we weren't even lined up for the summer yet we weren't in talks for contracts we weren't in talks for anything he was just like picking my brain he's like if you could do a musical up here what, what, what do you think you would do and Sam Lott's this little, one of the big musicals I've done so I was like man that could be an easy route to go it sold really well our audiences loved it we sold out five weeks of it in Funky in the summer of 2019 um, but Zach touched on it earlier but one of the things I love about We Will Rock You is that it was one of the shows I was already supposed to have done it was supposed to be our covid show like it was our our summer of 2020 show that we had on the books we had 100 people signed up for auditions we had people excited and obviously everything got put on hold and we just kind of had to deal with it and in a fun way this opportunity brought that production full circle for me as well as our musical director annie durham who was signed on to do this with me in the summer of 2020 so the fact that we got to kind of come back around and do this show together and like kind of finish the loop was almost a no-brainer and it was it just seemed like everything fell into place and i honestly didn't pitch another one because i was like i think that's what feels right for now i think it would be something fun and a little different for cripple creek and i mean who doesn't love queen and i think what queen stands for in the arts world and in the music world and the pop culture world are all above and beyond what it means to to have artistic integrity and i love that we get to share that through song and dance and a production and i've, I've said this to a lot of people lately in the past couple weeks especially that this show is definitely climbing the ranks of my personal like top five of all time favorite productions I've worked on and it's truly because of the cast and the crew that we have working on it and I you know I love Queen I'm a Queen super fan and I love all the albums I love the deep cuts I love the weird bootleg recordings that people keep finding I love all of it and I love that we get to share this with our audiences and I think the special thing about Queen is that everybody knows something about at least one of their songs even if it's not on purpose it could be like oh my mom really oh i didn't know that song was queen or oh i can't believe that that was a queen song because someone else has covered it since then or wow my grandma was a lot cooler than i thought because she listened to a lot of queen when i was growing up so it's been a really fun unraveling of nostalgia and you know just connecting to those memories in a joyous manner because i think that's my favorite thing about theater is that it brings me a lot of joy to do theater to make theater to create theater but also to like share it with audiences and bring joy to to people in, in their day-to-day life and give them an opportunity to check out for a couple hours and just be in a dark room with a bunch of other strangers experiencing the same thing. And that's that's why I do theater and I love it so much. So Yeah, don't don't let grandma kid you. She was in the front row flashing. I was there. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, I, I knew she was lying. Yeah, they 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 all lie, you know. It's it's uh <laughs> One good thing that's happening right now is we know, all know that uh, the entertainment industry is in, uh, in flux. We have a writer strike going on in film, and now we have SAG and After that's uh, you know, going on strike. And when you see theater plays, it's such a different vibe because it is live. And uh, for melodrama, it's so over the top. And a lot of times people who haven't seen melodrama before, you know, they're kind of hesitant to hiss or boo or, or kind of get involved with the show. But that's what's so fun about melodrama theaters because the entire audience gets involved with it. And Zach, you do a great job warming up the crowd, by the way, before the production starts. Uh, yeah, thank you. I, I learned that last year. Uh, 
kind of prepping the audience a little bit definitely has benefit for not only the show, but the actors as well. Just watching it and if people aren't prepped, even though they might know, oh, okay, you know, it's, it's time to boo or it's time to hiss, you'll get that, you know, that bit of hesitancy. As the show goes along, I think people start to get it because there's, you know, there's those uh, seasoned veterans that are in the audience that, that know what the deal is. Then uh, it seems like about halfway to two thirds of the show, then everybody's like really getting into it, you know. So, so that's to me, that's the fun part. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about melodrama, man. Like uh, the energy of the show kind of depends on the audience. We've had audiences sometimes where it's very low energy, and uh, that's the worst. You're like, oh man, just just say something. So luckily, we've got <laughs> I'll pop in, or Chris will pop in, or uh, Robert will pop in, and kind of boost them a little bit and give give some booze and some cheers, and people will start to kind of ease into it more but uh it's such an interesting genre of live theater where the energy of the show the 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 way it flows everything really depends on the audience i agree Hey, Chris, uh, I noticed this year it, it's a young cast. And uh, after the show uh, a week ago Sunday, I, I had the opportunity to sit down and not sit down, but I had the opportunity to uh, to talk to a couple of cast members. They were just as enthusiastic on stage as they are engaging with the crowd. How did you go about picking the cast for these last two particular productions? One of the things that I had noticed about the previous company that was out here and I was only in a professional manner because I never knew any of them personally, but um, I was always like, man, I should go audition for them because my family has houses in Goldfield and we spend our summers in Victor and we hang out in Cripple Creek a lot. And as an actor, I was always intrigued by the idea of like, oh man, it'd be fun to go do a show, you know, 15 minutes down the road. And it was always like, well, you can, but we do auditions in New York and come to find out that the people that ran it were from upstate New York or had a company in upstate New York. And so for me, as a local actor, it didn't really seem attainable. So one of the things that I wanted to try to bring to the table in the change of us trying to take things over was I wanted to make it more accessible to Colorado actors. I wanted to try and get more Colorado people up here. So my mission was to try and fulfill at least 50% of the contracts with people from Colorado. And so I reached out to people. I attended the Colorado Theater Guild. Uh, unified auditions. Um, actually, Zach and Annie and Sonia and I all did in April. And when all said and done, I think nine of the 14 contracts that I handed out this year for actors and stage managers, nine of them were from Colorado. So we have five from you know Connecticut and Louisiana and New York. But they're perfect. They're all exactly who they are supposed to be and when they're supposed to be here. And some of them I kind of knew from other stuff, but the other ones I got from either the UPDAs, which are the Unified Professional Audition, theater auditions that they do in Memphis in February, and then and then the CTG auditions. And then I actually had people that submitted to me directly because they saw that we were doing these shows. So a little maj podge, if you will. But it, it was fun because this also was an experiment in casting for me because it really I cast the company first, which is some thing that I haven't done before. And actually, I don't know how people do it in other places, but I cast this company completely, meaning I hired all the actors before they knew what parts they were playing, which is a trickier thing said than done because really I didn't want to be like, Hey, you can come do this and you can be a lead role or Hey, come do this. and You're going to be an ensemble. It was more or less like, Hey, you're guaranteed a role in two shows. Are you interested? And then I, after I locked down my 12 people, then I kind of assigned them their parts. And I think everyone in both shows agrees that they're exactly who they should have been. And I think for me, that's a cool credit to my, my casting ability, but also like just to their talents and their willingness to jump in. So, um, Isabella and, Wyatt, they're featured principals or strong ensemble. Like they're not like exactly leads, but they're like 
really heavy middle material. They were the last ones signed on and they have two of the most iconic roles, I think, in one of the shows, actually in both the shows. And I give that credit to them for sure of like being able to bring their A game. But also for me, because I didn't settle. And I think that's an important thing to remember sometimes in theater because sometimes it's really easy to do that. I didn't feel in my bones that I had the right people for the right roles just yet. And, and it worked out. They're killing it. You know, that's interesting that you say that because we're so used to being cast for certain roles, especially in, in film. It's like, okay, I get a call sheet. You know, I get the sides the night before the audition and I go out there and try to act in this. So what you just said is really a challenge for the actors because, all right, I've been hired to uh, do a couple of productions, but I don't know where I'm playing yet. So that is a testament to the ability of the actors that you got up on that stage this season. And I've told them many a times too, I was like, it, it just means that you guys are on the same wavelength of crazy that I'm on. And I dig it and I dig their energy <laughs> and I dig that, that they're willing to try because they're taking a chance on an unknown company in an unknown place, you know, outside the ones that are even from Colorado. I think two people from Cripple Creek, one person from Victor, but the rest of them are all from around the state. So some of them have never been to Cripple Creek. And for them to take a chance on Funky, for them to take a chance on the huge for them to take a chance on this summer programming like i i couldn't be more grateful the same level of crazy that's a good way to put it and (laughs) that's kind of the entertainment industry in general i think you know you just take a chance and sometimes you don't know what's going to happen and uh in a way that's kind of the beauty of things you know amen zach i got a question for you and and chris you can chime in as well what has been the biggest challenge so far this year biggest challenge never an easy question is it or maybe the biggest challenge just putting this all together yeah, I, I think it was just how much of more of an active role the Butte has taken kind of in, in the whole process. I think before it was pretty much spelled out for us, uh, the other company come in, do their shows and, you know, they put on good shows and leave. Now, this year was a lot of, uh, hey, you know, do you think we can afford this? Uh, what about trying to market this way? What about, uh, you know, this plays a little bit expensive, but I think it's going to pay off in the long run. So I think having those conversations and definitely being more part of the creative process, I guess, would be one of the biggest blessings of this year. I'd say one of the biggest challenges is just learning how to deal with everything that goes into a production, you know, that you don't see. So, yeah. you know, you see the finished product, but what you don't see is the... Uh, oh, holy crap, where are we going to house all these people? How are we going to feed them? So yeah, that I think for me was the biggest challenge is just how do we get the word out there a little better than we were able to last year? Um, And I think the Butte taking over the marketing and really staying up on the print ads and the the internet medias and, you know, we're getting ready to have a big push on the radio. That's probably been the biggest challenge, I think, from my side. And, And then on top of that, making sure Chris has everything he needs to produce good theater. A lot of that goes with how Chris was able to cast the shows. So, you know, my hat's off to him on that for us not having to scramble and find multiple places throughout the summer to try to put these people. It always kind of gets back to that same old line. Welcome to production. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because I can relate to exactly what you're saying because uh, my old life, I'll call it. It's obvious when a film crew is going through an airport or something like that. And they always say, oh man, it's such a great job. I wish you had that job. Well, yeah, such a great job. You're packing around 21 cases every other day. You're loading stuff and you're sleeping in a hotel for nine months and living out of a yeah. out of a backpack. It's, it's awesome fun, <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
yeah. it's a horrible industry, but a certain kind of crazy, right? A certain kind exactly. of crazy. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that was the thing going with funky little theater is, uh, Chris just brings a lot of energy and he brings a lot of knowledge as far as like putting together really good productions with not a lot of money, with not a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say talent to choose from because the talent I've seen and the plays of his that I have seen are phenomenal. Let me know when you want to become a documentary filmmaker. <laughs> Amen. Same, Amen. same world, you know? So, you know, given him the kind of ability to, okay, now you don't have to worry about money. What do you want to do? And just kind of seeing the light come on and I'm like, hey, we could do this and we could try this. And, you know, we're doing the um, Stinky Cheese Man every Saturday, which when I first took this job, I was like, how do we do stuff that's more geared towards the kids? Yeah. And he came right out of the gate with that. And, you know, it's been running since uh, June 10th and the audiences have steadily been picking up. So that's what you, what we like to see at the Butte is uh, numbers a couple weeks in from opening are gradually increasing. So that seems to be uh, the trend that he's setting. I want to get back to your, both of your points is that uh, it's really all about what the people don't see. We are so spoiled as audiences, whether it's film, you know, whatever medium that we're watching, we never get to see what goes on behind it, the logistics, the advertising, the set building and all that kind of stuff. And you guys have hit it out of the park because it's really seamless. And the second point I want to make too, is the musical directors, they never get enough credit. And I told Annie that at, uh, at the end of the show is, is uh, for someone to sit there and play a piano for two and a half, three hours and be on point is one of the most difficult things, I think, in this type of theater. Don't you agree? Yeah, 100%. And the fact that she does it pretty much Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, two shows on Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> so she has the big task because Zach and I are usually at the theater as well, in those days, but she's there every show because she's playing every show. Yeah. So she's playing all the We Will Rock You shows in a big, obviously, musicality uptick of just like I would I don't want to like discount melodrama either because it's still a hard it's a hard thing to do so she no, goes no, from underscoring and playing for the melodrama to having this full orchestration and adding a drummer for We Will Rock You and with an occasional guitarist so yeah her play was very full and she did it seamlessly and, and gracefully and she she is definitely a force to be reckoned with and I'm very blessed that I got to work with her and like I said before like this musical was supposed to happen with her and I'm finally glad that it did because it, I think it was also to be that way. Yeah, I just want to throw some props out to her because a lot of times the musical directors who are, they're kind of the heartbeat of the whole show. They kind of get overlooked a little bit. So uh, props to you, Annie. I think you're doing a fantastic job and just enjoy it. Well, guys, you know what? I really appreciate you coming on to the show today. I hope this is not going to be the last time we get to talk to you. And uh, I got to tell our listening audience, if you haven't seen the play yet, I can't speak for We Will Rock You, but I'm going to see it here very shortly. Just keep doing what you're doing, because uh, right now, from what I see, it's been a great success. Well, amen, man. We appreciate you. Absolutely. All right, guys, I'm going to let you go, but uh, don't be a stranger. You contact us anytime. And of course, we talk to, to Zach quite often. And uh, just know that the, uh, the barricade is right behind the Butte Theater and always will be. Amen. Well, Thanks, we man. look forward to seeing you up at uh, We Will Rock You, brother. And uh, you get a chance and you're up here on a Saturday. Come check out uh, that Stinky Cheese show. It is hilarious and it's like an hour long. And when there's kids in the audience, you just see just how much fun they're having. So I'm going to do it for sure. I can't wait. Guys, thanks so much and uh, continue success this season. Thanks, brother. Thank you, sir. Okay, have a good day. You too. When we come back, it's story time with Michelle, followed by the big news with our field producer, Trevor Phipps. So stick around.
The Rocky Mountain Vibes are back all summer long. You're not going to want to miss their nightly promos with their Vibe Tribe Tuesdays, $1 hot dogs, Winning Wednesdays, $2 tickets sponsored by Kilo X1039. Thank You Thursdays, where free military tickets go out to the military community, sponsored by Veterans United Home Loans Colorado Springs. Firework Fridays are back. Theme Saturdays, different themes every Saturday, and Sky Sox Sundays, Kids Club day plus post game base running to all kiddos part of the kids club you're not going to want to miss the fun over at uc health park are you tired of gambling or maybe gambling just isn't your thing then you need to come visit the historic butte theater located in the heart of cripple creek colorado enjoy our classic melodramas shakespeare of the west musicals, comedies, and our community's favorite Christmas show. The Butte is fun for the whole family. So get your tickets today at thebuttetheater.com and come join in our fun. the bear cave and right now after weeks of waiting it is finally story time with michelle on the bear cave hotline hi michelle welcome back well thanks it's good to be home yeah we've been waiting for weeks for your return (laughs) all i can say is i'm glad i missed that mess (laughs) oh man yeah i was gonna ask you about that uh so I guess the uh, Outlaw and Lawman's Jail Museum sustained some damage during that. And we're talking about the hailstorm a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And we're talking anywhere from ping pong size to almost softball size hail that hit throughout the whole district. So, oh man, she took a pretty good hit. We've got a historic skylight in there and it's pretty much decimated. And I was actually up on the roof last week. I always ask if anybody's going up there. I, I like to go up there and look at it. And there's just just huge holes in the roofing. The roofing has this weird cover on it. So we're going to have to get the whole thing recovered and then covered on top of that. So it's going to be an undertaking to get it done. How about any of the other uh, historical places? Did they sustain any damage like the Heritage Center or the train or any of that stuff? Yeah, the Heritage Center took a little bit of damage on the sign out front and on the fake rock out front. Fortunately, no glass was broken. A lot of damage to wood trim and stuff like that. And the train car actually came out pretty much unscathed and fire station three looks pretty good. Oh, it's a good thing you used that Teflon paint on that uh, train car, you know? Right. I know. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So, you know, people are are getting cleaned up. I've talked to several people and some people lost obviously their entire roofs. Uh, People lost their cars. They've oh, been man. totally trashed and it was bad. Like I'm glad I missed it and I'm glad Woodland Park missed it, but kind of think about us up there in Cripple Creek and um, just, you know, give us a break. <laughs> Come on up and, and spend some money. But yeah, we're still cleaning up and it's going to take a little bit. And don't do any kind of um, weather dances or anything like that. You know, it's sustained enough of that damage and crap up there. But uh, I was <laughs> I was talking to Josh Dorsey last week about this very issue. And he was telling me that uh, a few years ago, there was a 
a hailstorm that came out somewhere in Colorado Springs, and there were softball-sized hailstones that were raining through roofs all the way into people's homes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Man. So you take off, and then we get reports of tornadoes and uh, gigantic hailstorms you know, coming, right. coming through roofs and... Ah, what else? But uh, hopefully we're over that. I hope so. I hope so. No, I told staff has told me I clearly cannot go on vacation again. <laughs> <laughs> Did you tell them uh, I can't hear what Good you're luck. saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What? What? <laughs> yeah, we hit the ignore button on that comment. Yeah, absolutely. But like I said, everybody's cleaning up. We're all getting back together. It could have been worse, in my opinion. So I think we all came out pretty good for the most part. I was up there on Sunday to uh, go to the Butte Theater and there were still just branches and you could tell there was some some major damage that was going on but uh well onward and upward as they say yep absolutely absolutely well you sound rested up and uh a little less depressed the last time i talked to you so i guess your uh, <laughs> your working vacation went went well it did we had a wonderful time the weather was not as brutal as it could have been in south carolina in july so uh we got some boating time we saw family and we had a great time that's awesome well speaking of good times we're about to have one now because uh, it's story time with Michelle. And what have we got this week? Well, I don't even know what brought this. Oh, I do know what brought this to mind. I had to work the jail last Thursday and Friday. And I thought, you know what? I have never mentioned about Jack Dempsey and his connection with the jail and his connection with this uh, city of Victor and Cripple Creek. So I thought, well, why not? Let's talk about Jack. You know, that seems kind of apropos, doesn't it? After uh, it does. talking about it does. the jail. Let's hear about Jack Dempsey. Okay. So actually, born William Harrison Dempsey in Manassa, Colorado in 1895, Jack Dempsey grew up in Colorado and West Virginia. He was a part of Irish ancestry, and he also claimed to be partially Cherokee, which explains his kind of dark hair and dark skin, right? Yeah, yeah. Facial features look very indigenous. Yeah. So his parents were converted to the Latter-day Saints around 1880, and William was baptized into the church in 1903. No wonder he became a fighter. Right. <laughs> oh, Lord, I didn't know that. So because his father had difficulty finding work, the family traveled often, and Dempsey dropped out of elementary school to work and left home at the age of 16. Golly, just a little kid. Wow. <laughs> so due to his lack of money, he frequently jumped on trains and slept in hobo camps. Desperate for money, Dempsey would occasionally visit saloons and challenge for fights, saying, quote, I can lick any SOB in the house, unquote. If anyone accepted the challenge, bets would be made. According to Dempsey's autobiography, he rarely lost these barroom brawls, and Dempsey often fought under the pseudonym Kid Blackie because of his dark hair and skin. Much of his early career is not even recorded. Wow. So this is just where he's getting started. <laughs> yeah, he's getting started beating people up in Teller County. Right? <laughs> Who knew? He first competed as Jack Dempsey by his own recollection in the fall of 1914 in Cripple Creek, Colorado. His brother Bernie, who often fought under the pseudonym Jack Dempsey, took the name after the first middleweight champion Jack Nomperiel Dempsey. So his name is not even Jack. He just took that on. <laughs> Jeez. I thought only actors did that kind of thing. Right? <laughs> wow. Shows you what I know. So Bernie had signed to fight a veteran boxer by the name of George Copeland. Upon learning that Copeland had sparred with the current world heavyweight champion, Jack Johnson, and given that Bernie Dempsey was nearly 40 years of age, he strategically decided to back out of the fight, and he substituted his brother William, a.k.a. 
a.k.a. Jack, still unknown in eastern Colorado as Jack Dempsey. The fans at ringside immediately knew that was not the man they had paid to see. Uh-oh. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. So the promoter became violently angry and threatened to stop the fight. Copeland himself, who outweighed Dempsey by about 20 pounds and seeing Dempsey's small structure in the ring, Copeland warned the promoter, I might kill that skinny guy. (laughs) 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 So the promoter permitted the fight to commence and in his first outing as Jack Dempsey, William, the future champion, downed Copeland six times in the first round and twice in the second. Yeah, skinny guy packs a punch. If you have never seen him fight, I'm telling you, go do a YouTube and watch him fight. I'm not interested in, in boxing. I never was until I learned that Jack Dempsey had a connection. Holy cow. Yeah, that guy had a punch for our sure. But absolutely. So at the last knockdown of Copeland in the seventh round, the referee made the unusual move of stopping the fight once Copeland regained his feet. According to Dempsey, quote, in those days, they didn't stop mining town fights as long as one guy could move. And that's true. They didn't stop at nine rounds. They kept going. <laughs> There's only one guy left. <laughs> yeah, because that was kind of boxing in general. They would go round after round. There was no three knockdown rule or anything like that. No, no. They went until, I mean, they were just bloody. <laughs> it was brutal. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go until the guy who keeps knocking people out gets tired. <laughs> exactly. So this trial by fire carried with it a $100 purse. That's a lot of money back then. Sure is. And the promoter, angered at the switch pulled by the brothers, had laid no promise to side bet. Now, here's something a lot of people don't know about Jack Dempsey. He committed petty larceny while working in the mines of Cripple Creek. He was convicted of the crime and spent 30 days in the then Teller County Jail, which is now known as the Outlaws and Lawmen Jail Museum. So we had Jack Dempsey spending time in our jail. Oh, you had celebrities there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and it's funny because nobody knew about it until I, this is a weird fluke. I was in the courthouses and I was doing something in there. I was setting, oh, I was setting up a display and they have books in there just sitting on the shelves and I started thumbing through them and that's how I found them. I was like, no way, Jack Dempsey, there's documentation when he went to court. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now I'm gonna have to go get down into those files. That's amazing. Yeah. So Jack went on to marry four different times. He had two children with one wife and adopted a daughter with his last wife, who he stayed with until his death. He served in the New York State Guard and the Coast Guard Reserve and received an honorable discharge in 1952. He boxed professionally from 1914 to 1927 and reigned as a world heavyweight champion from 1919 to 1926. That's a long run. Sure is. Yeah. So Dempsey's aggressive fighting style and exceptional punching power made him one of the most popular boxers in history. Many of his fights set financial attendance records, including the first million-dollar gate. And Jack died on May 31st in 1983 of heart failure, and he was 87 years old. He lived a long life. He did, for somebody who was getting beat up. Yeah, I mean, boxing was completely different back during that time. Well, some of it was bare knuckle boxing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. That's insane. But no, his connection with Cripple Creek and Victor's really cool because he did work in the mines up there. And like I said, made the connection with the jail. So he made some cool history right up in just that little area. For me, I'm, I'm almost speechless because uh, <laughs> I had no idea. What an awesome story. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Like I said, working in the jail those two days, it sparked me again 
friend remembers like, man, I haven't been here for a while. I forgot all about the cool history. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of uh, history and jails and stuff like that, are, uh, are all the museums open right now? What's happening up in Cripple Creek right now? Even though we're all kind of picking up pieces literally from the damage, everybody is open. The train is open. The Molly Kathleen, I mean... We've been bustling, to be honest with you. It's been busy, busy, which is awesome. We're all glad to see it. Obviously, people are still out wandering around. And so you got to get up here. And we've got some events coming up, too. What kind of events do we have? So we've got Pearl DeVere Day, which is uh, for the old Homestead House Museum, which was the original brothel from 1896. They're going to do some cool stuff. They're going to have um, food trucks, beverages, music. And the best part is a bed race. Yeah, the old bed races. That's right. <laughs> yep, yep. So that's going to be July 22nd. So get up there and see that. I would say just go to the Heritage Center Facebook page. I put a whole schedule up on there. One other thing before I forget, Cruise Above the Clouds, it's back September 9th. Yes. And I do know that uh, the Heritage Center is going to be one of those stops for the poker run. Absolutely, absolutely. The, uh, the promoters came up and talked to me and I said, heck yeah, I would love to see all these cars come through so we'll be doing part of the poker run and we're more than happy to be participating in that yeah just in case people don't know this is a charity event so all the proceeds go to teller county nonprofit. so it's it's a great cause and you know you don't have to have a hot rod or anything like that to participate i think it's like ten dollars a hand go up there and uh, and help your community out absolutely and and look at some really cool cars <laughs> i agree Right. <laughs> All right, Michelle. Well, that was an awesome story. I'm glad that you're back on the Bear Cave Hotline because that takes a lot of stress off of me trying to come up with something. But, right. Uh, yeah, we're glad you're back in one uh, one piece and hopefully all those repairs will be done and it'll be business as usual. I think so. I think so. So thanks everybody for your support. We really appreciate it. Get on up there and we're ready for you to come up and visit. All right. Sounds like a plan. Hopefully I'll see you sometime this week, but if I don't, I'll be talking to you next week. Sounds good. All right, everybody stay safe out there and dodge the hailstorms. Exactly. All right, Michelle, <laughs> okay. have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Bye. Bye now. That was my producing partner, Michelle Roselle, calling us from Cripple Creek. But up next is our field producer, Trevor Phipps, on the Bear Cave Hotline with the big news. Hey, Trevor, what's going on? Not a whole lot. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. I uh, haven't had any hailstorms go through my house lately, so that's a that's a good thing. It's been some pretty nice weather lately. Yeah, it's been warm. Well, you know, a lot of times with warm weather comes a bunch of crazy stuff that's going on. And uh, of course, you know, by now everybody's heard about the bear situation here in the uh, bear cave area. But uh, what we got for the big news this week? It's been kind of slow for news for some reason, but um, probably the biggest thing that happened was the, well, it was about a year ago. I'm pretty sure we talked about it a couple times, but Samantha Peck, who was arrested for false reporting and attempting to influence a public official, about a year ago when it was during the recall, she had called the police on somebody and said that they were drunk. Well, when the police got there, they find, found out it was school board vice president David Eilenworth's wife. After that, charges came about and it kind of came a big controversy back and forth because it kept on with the school board controversy. And then we found out last week, I guess there's a three day long jury trial and she was acquitted of all charges. You know, Trevor, you might have a crystal ball in front of you or something, because earlier in the show, in the opener, I kind of teased about having a special guest coming on. I didn't want to talk about it, but I think we can let the cat out of the bag because on August 8th, Samantha Peck is going to be in the Bear Cave studio and uh, we'll be able to ask all those questions. But uh, man, good timing on your half. 
Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to hear her whole side of the story. She's pretty much been quiet since that. I mean, it's been a year since it's been going through the court systems. And you and me didn't think it was going to get prosecuted all the way to a trial, but it happened. And yeah, we lost that bet. There's a report on KRDO that the lawyer says a bunch of stuff on there. They're calling it politically motivated and whatnot. But the bottom line is, a jury acquitted or for saying that she didn't do anything wrong in that instance. And, you know, to me, it kind of, it's kind of a good thing because I wouldn't want people to be worried about reporting things, drunk drivers and such. So that was kind of one thing that was on my mind was that if she did get in trouble for it and did get charged with a felony, people would be worried to make reports. And that's, and I've talked to Chief Chris Deisler. That's something he does not want. It's funny because uh, you and I have been kind of kicking around this, this whole story and this issue for a while. And uh, I, I just did kind of an experiment and I posted that KRDO story on Helldor, which is a uh, better known to next door for some of these people. But since I, I put that up there on Friday, there's been over 3,500 hits on that particular subject. And of course, a lot of it follows along political lines with the uh, school board drama, right? So, uh, you know, we reached out to Samantha Peck and she has agreed to come on to the show to talk about it. I, I think we're also reaching out to the uh, DA's office just to see if they have any comment. But uh, boy, oh boy, more drama. Yeah, and I, well, all the DA has said from what I've seen is we respect the jury's decision as we do in all of our cases. And then the, the chief of police, Chris Geiser, he wrote a statement basically saying, well, the officer thought he had probable cause for the charges and that there was nothing else that had to do with it. He thought he had a case and he pressed the charges like they're allowed to do. Well, any normal human being or any logical human being would see the tapes that they had from the police body cam and come to the same conclusion that David Eilingworth was trying to play loyally Jedi mind tricks on the officer, because it's my understanding that the felony charges were filed after Mr. Eilingworth went to the police station and talked to, I think it was Officer Humphrey. Is that true or am I close? Yes, yes, you're you're completely. And when they released the body cam footage out previously, it seemed like Katie Eilingworth, who's also a lawyer, looked like she kind of tried to put the idea of those charges in the minds of the officer, too, right off the bat. And then being a district attorney, he probably has the right to go talk to police and talk about cases but it just just seemed like things weren't done completely the way they should be and with the jury decision it kind of proves that i'm right (laughs) i think well not only that but my understanding as well is that uh, david lane had some cross-examination of officer humphrey and according to witnesses and reports that I've seen is that Officer Humphrey may not have been completely truthful, either in the reporting or, or something along those lines. And that was exposed during the trial as well. One thing that stuck out to me was I think he asked me his examination if he had ever interviewed any of the witnesses that had actually seen the whole event unfold. And he hadn't. So that right there. Oh, yeah. It's kind of for him to interview the victim and the victim's husband, but not interview any third party witnesses seems a little strange to me. And again, you and I have talked about this before, but it seems like the DA's office up in Cripple Creek is a dumpster fire. I mean, between pedophiles walking, DUIs not getting prosecuted, and now trying to prosecute cases, in my opinion, and I'm not a lawyer. I mean, I'm just a Joe Schmo behind a, a microphone. It didn't seem like there was really a case that could be proven here. And uh, apparently the jury agreed. Yeah, well, one thing I think KRDO brought up, you know, since the victim in this case was David Eilingworth's wife, and David Eilingworth is an employee 
of the district attorney's office, the district attorney probably should have given it to another district attorney's office to prosecute. To me, there's kind of a conflict of interest there. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, and that, and KRDO brought it up. And I think they asked the district attorney that, but they didn't get a response. But yeah, that's kind of why I thought they wouldn't go through with it because of how close everything is to the district attorney's office. You know, there was just a bunch of weirdness going on from the get-go. Like I say, the uh, initial police body cam footage that was uh, released when the officer said that, uh, or and I paraphrase words to that effect, is that this is a, a case of targeting and false reporting before he even talked to Samantha Peck or any of the witnesses. And if I was the cop, and, and again, I'm not, a, I'm not a cop, but I would have conducted at least some kind of a field sobriety test just to make sure that everything was on the up and up. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't like the idea of just take, taking somebody's word for it if they're not intoxicated. But yeah. I mean, on the other hand, police officers are trained to spot that kind of thing. So yeah, no, that's if true. He didn't see it. He didn't see it. I guess it's that's they have that authority to decide whether or not a roadside is warranted. Absolutely. But I mean, I I, I guarantee you 100 percent that it'd been me sitting in the car later. <laughs> Give me a <laughs> hey, it's Trevor Phipps. We know he's had a beer. <laughs> and he's worn a vibes hat. Oh, for sure that guy's had a beer. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think you're right. And I think the other thing too is like I said, because of all the school board drama that's going on, it even divides the community even more. But you gotta get yeah. over the emotions and think about what the whole case was about. And the whole case was about did she or did she not influence a public official? And that was the felony charge, to my understanding. And the jury said, clearly not. So there you go. Well, and I got some flack for this, too. The yeah. article that I wrote. And you and me both. I was seeing it as reporting on what happened and telling the truth of what happened and getting it out there. To me, it has nothing to do with the school board. It has nothing to do with the upcoming election. It has nothing to do with Democrats versus Republicans. Exactly. It was a case that I personally, after reading all the information, all the police reports and watching the body camera, that I did think was right. No, I agree and then it you. came out that the jury agreed. So that was all I've been trying to do. Just It seems like everything these days has to get polarized into a political fight. But to me, it was the charges that they filed weren't right. Jury proved it. I agree with you 100%. And it's, you know, what's funny, it's always the same people who are, are mouthing off, so to speak, and just losing their minds because they're failing to see the big picture. It's very clear. And I go back to what I said before. It didn't have anything to do with whether she allegedly lied, didn't lie, or where the case may be. It was all about the charges that were brought up against her, plain and simple. And David Lane, who's a high-powered attorney, came up to Cripple Creek and, uh, you know, made short work of the whole case. Yeah. Well, the other thing I just mentioned briefly, remind everybody of, she was arrested at midnight at her house in Divide with her kids. Almost a week after the incident actually happened. Uh, that must have been a long conversation between David Eilingworth and the officer that night. Yeah, so. Okay, I'm being a smart ass. <laughs> so I, I think that wasn't necessarily right either. And then another thing that she had said on somewhere is that they, Eilingworth after that filed a restraining order on her. So she couldn't go to any school board meetings, <laughs> couldn't go to any schools because he's a school board member, volunteer and be part of her kids. That's a little convenient, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, bro. Yeah, really convenient. Well, all I know is that uh, I'm clearing a fresh page for the hate mail that's about to come our way. And, and that's okay. But uh, I was compelled. I thought that uh, we should get Samantha Peck in here and let her tell her side of the story and, uh, you know, let the chips fall what they may. We are not taking sides by any means. 
All we're doing, like you said, is that we're looking at the circumstances from a neutral position and anybody who possesses any kind of logic and reason will come up to the same conclusion that this was just uh, it was a waste of taxpayer money. Yeah, I think so. All right, Trevor. Awesome story. And uh, your timing is impeccable. I think next week we're going to talk about a little bit of local sports as we get toward that time frame. But uh, if nothing else, we want to remind everybody that uh, Trevor and I are going to be at the Rocky Mountain Vibes baseball game this Friday night because it's going to be Woodland Park night so we hope you can join us yeah for sure hope to see some local folks out there me too all right Trevor thanks for the report today that was uh man your timing is just uh it's perfect so uh (laughs) if nothing else I'll catch you Friday for sure and if I don't catch you Friday I'll talk to you again next week all right that sounds great all right Trevor have an excellent day talk to you soon you too bye now Boy, talk about timing. And uh, yeah, we had to let the cat out of the bag a little bit. But uh, anyway, that was our field producer, Trevor Phipps, with the big news. And coming up next is the Rocky Mountain Vibes Report, News of the Weird, and find out who gets the honor of being lunch for Dozer and his buddies. Don't go away. By making gradual changes in your life, you can achieve your goals. Perhaps it's a change in your diet, losing a few pounds, or reducing stress. You can always improve your health. If you want to explore ideas on how to achieve a more mindful and healthier way of life, then you've come to the right place. Animus Wellbeing in Woodland Park, Colorado offers nutritional consultations. We work with you to design a program that fits your specific needs to help you enjoy a better quality of life. So check us out at animuswellbeing.com. That's A-N-I-M-A-S-W-E-L-L-B-E-I-N-G.com. Or call us at 818-400-1456. Let us help you to achieve a life of optimal well-being. I'm your host, Dennis Zerl, and right now it's time for the Rocky Mountain Vibes Report with the Director of Marketing, Kay Goodell. Kay, how are you? I'm doing great. We had a little bit of a conversation before we started recording, and uh, you had a very interesting week last week. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I had had some uh, camping and uh, road trip mishaps, so I didn't end up getting in the hiking that I wanted on our off-stand, but... Still got to do some some nice camping and see the wildflowers out in the, the middle of the state in the San Juan. Yeah, it's such a beautiful area. It's kind of my neck of the woods, and uh, it was okay. I mean, we had a couple of dudes talking last week, and we cut you some slack because we knew you needed a break because you've been doing a lot of hard work lately. Yeah, I mean, we uh, the way our schedule works this season is there's there's not a huge amount of downtime, uh, which is great having things in the ballpark, and that's always really fun. But when it turns to having a, a day or two off, it's limited. So we're about to gear up to play almost every weekend the rest of the summer now. Yeah, it's really getting started because uh, I think today starts the second half of the season, right? Yep, yeah. Today is the first push for the second half and and the playoff hopes really kind of start here. I knew after talking to Tyler, we were going into a really, really tough week and uh, 
You know, the boys managed to take a couple of games from Ogden. And uh, I always go back to being in the minor leagues and basically just baseball in general. It's like, man, you got to get back on that bus after having kind of a, you know, a long road trip and just making that long drive home. And then uh, getting enough energy <laughs> to have a day off and then getting right back after it. And uh, yep. we've got some new players coming onto the roster, right? Yeah. Um, so you'll see a lot of new guys on the roster today. Uh, I haven't even gotten since I was gone for so long. Hadn't even really gotten a chance to check them out at all. So yeah, it'll look a little different on the field tonight up in NOCO if you're watching the game. You know, the good thing is, is that uh, they left Ogden with a win. So that gives them a little bit of momentum going into this week because it doesn't get any easier. And uh, I think... I think this week is going to be really, it's really going to be some important games coming up here to see, you know, how we stack up against the rest of the Southern Division. Yeah, yeah, this is huge. I mean, the rest of the season, we realistically just play within our division and a lot of Colorado trips on the on the docket for us. So it'll, it'll be huge. You know, one thing I noticed, I didn't remember last year that the Southern Division was so tight. I mean, obviously, Ogden got a, a pretty good lead on, on everybody else, but the rest of the teams are just, I mean, they're really close together. Yeah, I know. Ogden um, is probably the farthest one from us, but they're very close to Grand Junction and then Grand Junction and Noco. I mean, we just battled the, the four corners almost, so three of the four corners. Yeah, it's been pretty tight. Well, what have we got going on this week? I know it's big events. I know that it is definitely Woodland Park night on Friday night, but there is so much more happening this week. Oh, yeah. We're rolling into a lot. So Friday, I'm the most excited for just because Woodland Park is coming out, and I'm really excited to see all of the people um, finally get a chance to come out here and go to the game. I know we've got some exciting people throwing first pitches. Saturday, we roll right into Christmas, so we're jumping all the way to Christmas in July. Uh, it's also going to be a dog night with the National Mill Dog Rescue coming out and doing a huge adoption event in the ballpark. There's the post-game marshmallow fight, Santa Claus, Coca-Cola has some stuff coming out. It, it's going to be huge. So Diego's inviting a bunch of his best friends to the game. He is, and his best friends are looking for some new homes. So if you have any slight thought that you might want to adopt a new best friend, this is the night to be at. Oh, boy. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm such a sucker for that because <laughs> I love dogs. And uh, with my schedule, it's hard for me to, to have one and, uh, and take care of it properly. But, boy, maybe I better leave uh, my wife home that night. Oh, see, I will probably have two dogs in my arm the entire night, and then I will be either crying at the end of the night because I have to give them back, <laughs> or I end up taking them home and make my roommates really mad. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And uh, we just happen to know who your roommates are. Yep, yeah. So I don't think they'll be the happiest. They'll love it for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's how guys are anyway. Right. So, so we got Christmas going on, and then uh, what are we looking at for the next couple of weeks? Man, I mean, we are jam-packed. We play every single weekend in August, which means firework show after firework show after firework show. But I'll run through the Saturdays. We've got the 5th of August is going to be our Paint the Park Pink Night, which is going to have a pink firework show post game. Oh, nice. So that'll be really cool. And then the 12th is going to be our Army versus Air Force Night. And let me tell you, I jam-packed this for the city of Colorado Springs. There are flyovers, salute battery, mounted color guard, potentially para jumpers, all the works really being thrown into this game. And that includes free tickets for military on this night. So it is one of those select Saturday that you can come for free with your military ID. And then we immediately go into Star Wars the following Saturday. Oh, so wow. big night with our bobblehead giveaway. So that'll be really, really fun. 
And then our Eurotis, which I know everyone has been dying to see the team wear. Yes. <laughs> we'll take a little bit of a break, but the last game of the season is going to be Margaritaville, and I am just so excited for that night. Wow. I, I got to go back to the Army Army versus Air Force kind of thing. I'm sure there's going to be a bear snake contest going on that day as well, so it's going to be really lively. Oh, it's going to be, I think, probably our biggest game here at the ballpark uh, throughout the summer, and I'm just so excited for it. Yeah, I can't wait. But uh, just because uh, the season ends, it doesn't end for you because then you guys roll back into community events and uh, it's kind of non-stop. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll take a quick little break, but really we jump right into things. We'll have Labor Day liftoff that we'll be at. Uh, we're already signed up for like five trunk or treats in the community with Toasty, a couple uh, wow. nonprofit walks like Walk to End Alzheimer's as well as Susan G. Komen Walk for the Cure. So, yeah, we keep busy. I sing your guys' praises all the time because, uh, yeah, there was a lot going on last season, but this season, you guys have gone above and beyond. At least coming from this little guy who sits behind a microphone all the day, I appreciate the hard efforts. Yeah, I mean, we just want to kind of do the most in the community, and this is how we do it. So we definitely turned the volume up even higher this past season. I agree. All right, Teller County, you heard everything that's going on. Get your carcasses into those cars and vans and head (laughs) down to the ball game. We expect to see you there. Trevor and I are going to be there, so come by and say hi to us. Well, with all that being said, Kay, uh, I will see you once or twice this week for sure. And, uh, you know, I I, I catch a glimpse of you out there dragging the field every now and then and kind of bounce around the park. You're everywhere. I do. I I bounce around a lot. You definitely will see me at the ballpark. What I'm doing is always going to be the gamble. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you haven't worn a toasty costume yet so you know yeah (laughs) yeah yeah put that on your bucket list we'll we'll, we'll see what happens (laughs) we'll try (laughs) all right sounds like a deal okay thanks for spending the time with us as always and uh love what you're doing with the team this year and we love the activities that are going on at the ballpark you have an excellent day and uh don't work too hard try to get some rest all right well we'll see you here (laughs) okay talk to you soon bye-bye now That was the Rocky Mountain Vibes Report with the Director of Marketing, Kay Goodell. But right now, it's once again time for News of the Weird. Headline this week reads, Insult to Injury. Huh, okay, this ought to be interesting. A man by the name of Mark DeCara from Lake Barrington, Illinois, allegedly shot himself in the leg on June 12th while dreaming of a home invasion. (laughs) What? Did I read that right? Um, Home invasion. Dakara grabbed his 357 Magnum and fired, which instantly brought him to consciousness. (laughs) I can see why. (laughs) There was no intruder in the home, and police found him in bed with a, quote, significant amount of blood, end quote. I would imagine so. He was charged with possession of a firearm without a valid firearm owner's identification card and reckless discharge of a firearm. Oh, by the way, Mark has a record. (laughs) I got nothing. I don't even know where to go with this one except the bear pile. Each week we nominate a person, place, and or thing that should be tossed on the bear pile to be eaten by the bears. From last week's nomination, the person, place, and or thing to be tossed on the bear pile to be eaten by the bears is... Now, this was a tough one this week because our Harvard business professor, Francesca Gino, she made an equally strong argument for why she deserves to be on the bear pile and and have this honor. But the winner is the pillow guy, Mike Lindell, for not letting go of the 2020 election conspiracy theories while he continues to bleed money on losing causes. 
But, you know, like I said before, you better reach out to the Donald for a loan before uh, Donald may be going to jail. Who knows? He's being indicted yet once again. But, you know, bottom line is I can't wait to see what he comes up with next. The nominations for this week for the honor of diving onto the bear pile are... Number one, the out-of-town owners of STRs and VRBOs for believing that they are the true Hungry Bear restaurant. You know, sorry about that, Uncaring Owners, but that name is already taken up here in Woodland Park, but then again, you wouldn't know that if you ever spent any time in the area. Hey, here's hoping that you get to meet Yogi some dark night in your own backyard. You know, the one that you never go to in Teller County. (laughs) Number two, the United States Secret Service for allowing yet another breach of security to punch you in the face. You know, it may be time for the boys and girls of the Secret Service to pee in that bottle. You'll probably get the answer as to where that bag of coke came from if you do. And number three, Mark DeCara for shooting himself in the leg with his own illegal firearm while having a home invasion dream. <laughs> you know, I wonder if he was ever a member of the Secret Service, uh, but uh, yeah, I guess that's another one we'll never know about. Well, that's about it for me this week. But before I go, I would like to thank our sponsors, Abode Real Estate, The Butte Theater, Rocky Mountain Vibes Baseball, and Animus Wellbeing. I would like to thank my guests today, the manager of The Butte Theater, Zach Stanio, and the artistic director of Funky Little Theater Company, Chris Medina. Also from the Rocky Mountain Vibes, the director of marketing, Kay Goodell. Thanks to my producing partner for bringing us story time. Wow, we've waited so long for this. The summer just isn't the same without our weekly story time. And of course, thanks to our field producer, Trevor Phipps, for bringing us the big news. If you have an event coming up or you want to sponsor the show, you can reach us on our Facebook page, This Week in the Bear Cave, or our Instagram page by the same name. And I say this every week, you can send your hate mail to thisweekinthebearcave at gmail.com. You can access the show on Spotify, Anchor by Spotify, Podbean, RadioPublic.com, and iHeartRadio. Our celebrity, not-so-celebrity guest next week is going to be Director of the United States Secret Service, Kimberly Cheadle. We want to know what it's like to answer to Alejandro Mayorkas all the time. That may explain a few things about this investigation, don't you think? You know, I'm still one of those who think that the Secret Service should have stayed under the Department of Treasury, but, uh, well, what do I want to know? Harvard University business professor Francesca Gina was supposed to stop into the bear cave, but we're told that she is still in that confessional with the local padre. Yeah, she's probably telling him all about ethics and irony, you know, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, Harvard University, they've become the woke fantasy camp of universities here in the United States. Until next week, be well and thanks for listening. Sweet dreams, Sam and Max. This Week in the Bear Cave is produced by Animus Productions, all rights reserved in perpetuity.